bottom line, fintechs will always need banks. Banks mm -hmm. will always need fintechs. We all play a role in ensuring that the right solutions are accelerated faster into the hands of banks to push more innovation to the end users. I expect to see more of that in the year ahead, and I think we need to. Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by BankTech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BankTech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to help them impact community banks to their best ability as well as their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in your future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTech Ventures at banktechventures.com. My guest today is Tara Schultz. She is the Senior Vice President of Strategy at CSI. They are one of the leading core software companies in the banking industry, and she leads strategy at a time of what I would call major change happening, not just in their company, but really in the overall industry. And so we're going to have a lot of fun things to talk about today. She has over 15 years of experience in fintech and financial services, and has really throughout that history done a lot of strategic partnerships. And I also appreciate how much of a passion she has for customer experience, which I think she and I both agree is something of continued opportunity for the financial industry to invest in and improve. We've gotten to know each other over the last year or so, and I really appreciate her for how involved she is in the industry and the leadership she provides to so many who are really wrestling with digital transformation in the community banking world, because it is a very real and and somewhat still nascent activity. We've got a lot to talk about, as I said. Tara, thank you so much for being here and for joining. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So we're at this strange point. We're, we're almost toward the end of the year. It's been a wild year in banking. How would you, as you think about where you sit at, at CSI and in general in the industry, how do you think about this year in the rearview mirror in, in your history in banking? It's it's definitely been a tougher year with, with market uncertainty and, and mm -hmm. some added nice media hype of a full-blown sure. crisis per se, mm -hmm. but community banks have, have dealt with a great deal of change this year and increasing competition as always, but that continues to increase even more, but their margins are compressed. They're mm -hmm. experiencing higher rates of fraud. They're experiencing higher rates of regulatory scrutiny, but the community banks have really stayed focused and, and they've really continued to, to persevere through those challenges. Even I, I think back to really earlier in the year and a really good example of you know, what we saw, they handled the fear of the end consumers very, very well yes. created by the event, such as, as yes. SVB. So before that event, you had many of your customers primarily uninformed, aside from mm -hmm. treasury clients, or at least not really concerned about the, the risk of uninsured deposits, what that meant to them. And what was really cool to see yet again was community banks showing up, 
stepping out to further educate on, hey, we use these systems to utilize the, and manage the liquidity. And here's the technology that, that, that really we utilize to automate. And, and they, again, stepped out to build that trust. That makes a big difference. And one of the reasons why we really didn't see the massive deposit outflows that we saw outside of community banking. From our perspective, our banks are doing really well. Deposit mm -hmm. and loan growth across the board are on average still our customers are, um, they're outpacing the industry as it relates to debit transactions. So all card activity, more leveraging API technologies, which, which thrills me because that mm -hmm. means evolution, that means innovation, but that doesn't eliminate any of the challenges that, that they'll have ahead that we have to help them bite through on more competition. And, and to wrap that up, I mean, their top priority coming out of this year is, is loud and clear, yet again, deposit acquisition, engagement, the growth of those relationships are so important. And it's really beyond the immediate need, but the, the future capture of that generational wealth transfer that's about to happen as well. Oh, such a great summary of the year. I, I, I... The, the two terms that I have been using a lot recently, I think, are what I say resilience, which you highlighted, is community banks have proven once again how resilient they are. I mean, we've seen unprecedented interest rate change, and they are navigating it as an example. And then adaptability. They are adapting just like they did when COVID hit, and they had to figure out how to provide digital services that maybe they hadn't put in place or drag their feet on or adapting to how to help their communities with PPP. It's been fascinating for me to just think back and go, wow, in three years, we've gone from, we've got plenty of liquidity. We don't need deposits to, we really need deposits. And I think it just shifted so fast. As you think about even lessons that you've learned this year or looking back over the last few, any any key lessons that you continue to, to think about? Yeah, I, I think this year has been, I think, a reality check for, mm -hmm. for many, for all sides, mm -hmm. with everything going from whether you're a fintech and faced with uh, the funding challenges and the race to profitability or a bank, a core, a digital a payment provider. I think we've all really come to terms with you cannot be everything to everyone. So really sure. honing in on your success, the areas that that bring the most value and, and really narrowing that path to success versus so many in the industry were throwing out a, a wide net and really just deciding where we'll focus and, and where we'll allow others to focus. And thankfully, we have the technology to be able to do that as we modernize. So I think I've been with a number of fintechs recently and in recent conversations and a few of them, more than more than ever before, seem to be veering hard away from direct bank sales as it's hard and it's a it's not a quick path to growth. We know their preferred route is is channel distribution. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's a smaller or a mid-sized bank, that sales cycle is the same for them. But they're really thinking about distribution or we're gonna leverage this technology some other way. And I hate that, but it's a reality. And I think that means we're at a point where we all play a role in ensuring that the right solutions are accelerated faster into the hands of banks, into the hands of end users, small businesses. And we've got to get more creative with embedded fintech and even the freemium models to push more innovation to the end users 
and then offering the upgraded solutions. I expect to see more of that in the year ahead. And I think we need to. Great lessons. I, I want to push a little harder on this direct bank selling because I think it is a very real topic and a challenge that a lot of founders or, or operators have to wrestle with. And we definitely are in a place where you have a, a desire, at least amongst banks, to probably embrace more best of breed solutions as they look ahead than maybe they historically have. And so that either means some of their traditional partners have to be more open to not controlling everything, or the banks have to become better buyers. And I mean, a lot of what we do at Bank Tech Ventures is trying to help them become better buyers, because that is part of, of solving this is, you know, more confident, more ready to make a decision, because to your point, it, it can kill a company waiting to, to navigate through some of these sales cycles. So I'm curious how you think about that balance, because I like your, your point that it's sort of everybody's obligation to help, because at the end of the day, we just need to keep more banks in a relevant, successful position. Yeah, so you mentioned two counterparts there. So yep. more of the, the cores for enabling the possibility mm -hmm. and you know your side for really enabling them to be better buyers. But also I think it's it's on all of us to provide a better and quicker, more clear value proposition yes. for 100%. what they're what they're providing. And the more I, I see fintechs doing this and not just assuming that their solution is it should be the top of the stack for for the banks, for the community banks, because there's a lot to wade through on new technologies, trends they should prioritize. And what I really value about, I'll give you an example. When we struck the, the deal with AutoBooks to, to have a strategic partnership with them a couple of years ago, we, we leveraged data with them to showcase to the banks that the banks are like, well, our, our customers aren't really asking for that. But when you utilize the data to show that they're finding their own ways to get paid, and it's just not through the, the traditional bank sure. channels, I mean, that really wakes up a bank and says, mm -hmm. okay, I want to I want to bring this back in. I think that's important. It is, you're, you're right, you hit on that very well and saying that we all have a role to play in that. And whether that's enabling better technology or getting faster and more clear value props with data to help the banks become better buyers, that's a a three-party process. That's right. Yeah, the data topic is such a fun one. And I know you and I are both kind of geeky about the value and, and power of data. And, you know, what I talk about a lot is it's not about replacing people. It's about enabling them and giving them the right information to act upon. And my one of my favorite topics is when banks will say, well, Carrie, we know our customers. And then you you analyze the actual objective data of what's happening and you can show them you do, but maybe not fully. And to your point, they're getting paid. They're finding ways to get paid. It may just not include you. Let us equip you to be part of the solution so that you can strengthen those relationships. So, you know, we, we have a company, I think, you know, called Revio, that's a really interesting enablement to say, here's what's happening outside of the bank with your customers financially that it's just not obvious for you to see. And hey, you can go invest in some solutions to go capture more wallet share, market share, strengthen the relationship that you, you don't even necessarily realize because customers don't always tell you everything that they're doing. That's right. Spot on. Spot. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's also been an exciting 
last year for you and the whole company at CSI with your private equity investment. So why don't you maybe, you know, catch my audience up a little bit on what happened? And, and I'd also be curious, you know, how you're acclimating to that change versus being a public company. Sure. So yeah, going private after 56, 57 years of trading OTC, no big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, was a, exactly. Was a surprise to many. The decision to take the company private was really a strategic decision led by our CEO, David Colbertson, when, when he took the uh, the reign of CEO, CEO a couple of years ago. He did that for the future of CSI and for the benefit of our customers, community and mid-tier regional banks that we serve. We made that shift in order to really accelerate, accelerate our investments, accelerate our growth for CSI, both through technology modernization, product innovation, and getting back in the M&A game. So mm -hmm. that's definitely a focus of ours right now too. But that's where our passion and where our focus remains. There's no change around that. So we're, we're focused on bringing innovative solutions to community banks, enabling modern, modern technology to continue to allow for them to go choose what they need to choose, where we don't provide it, or if they don't like what we provide. That's what we're enabling. And then to service them with an unmatched level of, of service. We do have a very different service structure that stands out in the industry and the way we go about that. On top of that, with the transaction, I mean, if you look at some of the change that's taken place since then, we have an entirely different board aside from David, Steve, and, and Kristen Mueller. We've attracted a lot more talent from the industry. Um, you have Frank Martieri, Frank D'Angelo, Paul Danola, uh, Tom Shin. All of these guys are in the fight to keep community banking relevant, and they understand the the importance of what we need to provide to these to these community banks. The last last comment I'll make is we've been able to increase our talent level as well. We've had quite a few changes over the last six nine months. We brought on a new COO. Linda Fisher, who joined us, I think, in March of this year. We brought on a new CTO, Troy Bradley. Both of these individuals have decades of core experience, and they're the right culture fit for, for CSI and what our customers need, too. We've brought on a corporate development, so my strategic counterpart on M&A, Nick Rising, very talented guy in the industry, and we're not done yet. So all in all, the acclimation's been very positive. That's great. Well, I, I think to your point, it's a strategic move. I've seen it in other industries where it's difficult to do a major shift when you're in the public mm -hmm. domain. It just is. And you you have to have those short-term investor pressures really driving you versus if you need to make a significant investment, which you can do much more with a, a nice partner a little bit longer time horizon so i'm i'm excited because i think it just it creates an energy level i'm sure for you and and your team as well that is is much more enjoyable so i think that will benefit not only all of you but also the industry at large because it it creates a new competitive reality and and i'm a big believer that as i'll buy into you know competition breeds competence you know you're going to drive not only CSI to be better, but I think everybody else as well. And that I think that benefits the the industry. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and definitely a shot in the arm. So you'll always have trade-offs, no matter sure. if you're public or private. 
but the extent of those trade-offs is, is what differs when you're really trying to accelerate with the right product set that benefits community banks as well and building and modernizing. It was, it was, a, it was the right time for David and, and our team to make that decision. Absolutely. Well, let, let's go back a little bit. If I think back, core vendors have had you know, several decades, really. And I, I, I sort of liken it to they ran the banks from the technology infrastructure aspect. And now you're seeing, you know, you mentioned APIs at least a couple of times. You're, you're modernizing, you're making this infrastructure much more open and available. Others are doing it their way, some cases more or less open. But you have, you know, APIs, middleware. I mentioned, I think there's an increasing movement because if I'm a bank, I want to control my destiny. That probably means I want a little bit more best of breed than maybe I've historically had. So you also have this, this you know, regulatory and maybe even market-driven movement toward more open banking. So there is just a ton of change happening. I'm curious, how do you think about partners? Do you think about a new set or new sets of relationships different from maybe how you have as you look back over the last decade? Yeah, I think from a, a strategic partner standpoint, we're always looking for an acceleration now of, of strategic partners and the right partners mm -hmm. that we bring in the fold of the enterprise solution suite. And we handle the go-to-market and the marketing and the customer training and all of that. But from a technology standpoint, I think those are two different things because, you know, a bank may not agree on the same digital account origination system, sure. for example. And CSI is really well positioned to, to continue the investments into the modernization that we've already started on our offerings. We've moved from, I recently checked, and we're now over 50% of our client base are now using APIs for integration capabilities. Of That's some great. Sort. And that excites me because that looked wildly different two years ago. Mm -hmm. So the more we track that and the more we see banks leveraging that, whether they're doing it for efficiencies and workflow automation or new loan origination systems or whatever the, the partner that they're bringing in, they're using APIs, they're using modern technology to do that. And we, of course, want to bring the best of the best and, and bring that full suite like we always have, but having that choice is key too. You know, at the end of the day, whether it's APIs to bring in a, a new and innovative solution or APIs to really safely share a customer's data, which you hit on that too, it's, it's all about the customer experience and, and really getting the customer what they need and what you need to achieve the goals of the institution. That's where we're after as far as technology modernization and, and innovation goes. Sure. Totally makes sense. Well, let's, I think, you know, you know, I came into this fintech banking world about 10 years ago through more of the disruptor side of it. And, you know, we just came through the other side of this peak hype, peak investment in fintech. And, you know, you had startups, many of whom I, I knew well and, this hubris of we're going to put all the banks out of business and we're going to take all their customers and they're all going to disappear. And it hasn't happened. I mean, I think most of the market share shows fintech globally has single digit percentage customer market share after a huge amount of investment. And so I'm just curious, you know, how do you think about the bank versus fintech environment? Maybe as you look ahead five, 10 years. 
Will the numbers of, you know, of banks that, that exist out there change? Yes. But to mm -hmm. what extent is why we, CSI, why you, Bank Tech Ventures, ICBA, all of the other associations so passionate mm -hmm. to, to aid community banks are so vitally important. Mm -hmm. At the bottom line, fintechs will always need banks. Banks mm -hmm. will always need fintechs. I think like you said earlier, like we are pushing other providers to be better and other providers are pushing us to be better in some regards. That's no different there with the banks and the fintechs. Mm -hmm. I think it's those that really choose to evolve as time goes on with how money's moved is, is the crucial element. Fintechs don't know banking, at least the, the, the complexity. They may know subsets, but they don't know banking like bankers do. And, but they have created you know, better processes. They've often nailed the customer experience with those, you know, their, their defined use cases. And yet again, those experiences change industry expectations for mm -hmm. the consumers. But I think we'll see a more creative and, and collaborative environment for those that are ready. Mm -hmm. There are just a litany of other industries that, like healthcare, for example, in need of you know streamlined money movement. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the, the firsthand opportunity to work with one in particular and seeing the shift of a small ag bank them learning the power of other industries mm -hmm. and the volume that, you know, that the, the services that they've always offered their customers, how these can benefit other industries like healthcare and massive volume that lights me up. I think there'll be growth in B2B to C and, and commercial space, but you'll no longer eventually at that point, be surprised about the grocery chains serving up accounts and cards through you know, their, their grocery band with, brand with the bank behind the scenes. But bottom line, like for the, the fintechs, it's also about really respecting the processes too, necessary for, for safe and compliant mm -hmm. vetted finance and understanding how important that is to protect the brand and the charter. That won't let up if this year has really shown us anything in relation to banking as a service, embedded finance. Sure. Yeah, the gr great points. And I, I love the healthcare example too, in that I, I think after my 10 years, I've now come to believe that in many cases, if you really want to take this umbrella concept of fintech, it's a horizontal thing. Just like if you think about AI, I think of AI as becoming this, this horizontal platform. It's going to be embedded into all kinds of processes and and systems. I think of, of banking or fintech collectively as similar. And the collaboration is going to allow banks to expose themselves into the places where they can be embedded and add value and then have people to advise and support and it, it, as one of my partners says, it's it's this era where bankers are going to get their creativity back. And I think that that's exciting to see because it is everywhere. I mean, money is embedded in to everything. So that banks, I think, awakening to that has been probably one of the positive outcomes of the last 10 years. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So as you think about, you know, I'd like to challenge this notion, you know, I, I've been even questioning whether core vendors should call themselves core vendors, right? It, at the essence of what they do, it's a financial transaction management system for, you know, the general ledger for the business of the bank. 
as you think about that and you think about CSI's role in this changing banking fintech world five, 10 years from now, how do you think about that? Because to your point earlier, you can't be all things to everybody, but what is, if the general ledger is a part of the business, but it's not the entirety of the business, where, where do you see your role? I think today we're we're making the changes and the investments that that we are making today for the purpose of raising the bar for for mm-hmm. those serving community banks. So mm-hmm. in ten years, I hope we can make a bigger impact on community banks that we're serving. I hope that you know we're we're successful in bringing a wider solution set to enable our services to reach far beyond just the traditional banks. When I started here, it was just the traditional banks. Mm-hmm. Now we we've, we've expanded that for. The banking as a service example that I just sure. uh, just talked through, but I think we we still play that vital role in in keeping banks innovating and enabling that continued evolution of embedded finance and and really helping them with the the path ahead on the growing needs and challenges of even the the generational wealth capture and retention. I mean, what is it? Eighty four trillion about to transfer over the the next couple of de- decades. And many aren't set up to, you know, to, to capture that and to keep that. And that's on us too, to have the right technology in place. And, and we play a role in that. That's a great transition. We've talked a couple of times, at least teased around customer experience, which is, I know, an area that we both share a lot of passion about, particularly in digital customer experience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious how you think about how community banks do, right? They they view a central part of their existence is we're hand-to-hand combat, we're people in branches, building relationships in our physical communities, but the bar's raising on customer experience expectations. So how do you feel like community banks are doing in that area today? Yeah, this isn't a role that that they own alone. For mm-hmm. sure. I see this as one of the most vital parts of cross-team, cross-company collaboration to really pull off. And we still aren't there as an industry, aside from, you know, when the, the use case is is really narrow. This isn't something, as you mentioned earlier, you check box and you rest on. That's You're right. done. I, I handled UX. I'm done. The bar will, I think, continue to get raised on customer experience expectations by the apples of the world. Mm-hmm. And the neobanks, the challengers, and and whether they survive or not, we can argue one way or another of what that future looks like. But either way, the bar still gets raised on mm-hmm. the experiences that those consumers and and small businesses have on you know those devices and how they manage and and move money right here. That's right. At CSI, we we take that very seriously. We've we've made some pretty big investments into outside expertise of UX and really incorporating that back into our digital experiences from those engagements. Of course, we have our own UX teams, but they're designing the solutions. So they don't always see it differently. Mm-hmm. But these engagements took it down to the end users, the the small businesses, and, and really seeing firsthand the way that they move money, the tasks that they need to accomplish as a small business, and, and really watching where they hit hurdles because some of those hurdles you you didn't expect or they had to think a little bit longer than they really should have. So I think the journey of the whole customer experience 
using better insight and analytics tools, using the tools that have the A-B testing and the, and the instant feedback loops. Like all of that never stops. It never sleeps. That's right. Such a good overview. How, if I'm a bank and I, I don't have my own UX design team or product team, even engineers, I'm, I'm relying on my partnership, but I want to be additive and complementary to my partnership with CSI, let's say. What would you advise them to invest in, in their team, in their talent, to be able to be complementary there and not maybe a drag? on the work that you're all doing? I think spending time with their customers and understanding their needs versus assuming what they don't and do need. Mm. I think the whole, the, the job to be done framework, mm. the consumers and the businesses that, that they're taking care of, I think that is a simple and it, it can get complicated, sure. but that's a simple place to start and, and doing focus groups to start to really question and watch their customers because not everyone does that. That's right. I mean, I think that's a very important part to just step back and don't show, watch. I've had a couple bank CEOs say, really, Carrie, what we're trying to figure out is how do we get in the room where the banking is happening? And I think that is a really good way to think about it, which to your point is about watching, not showing historically as the bank, I, I set the terms. Here's our location. If you want to come do business with us, you can come here. And now the bar's changed. It's, I can do it all from right here. Mm -hmm. And so how do you add value? How do you get in that room and add value? And to your point, I think it is starts with observation. So that's, I think, super valuable. So who can who can develop that energy and, and capability to listen, ask the questions, observe, and glean insights from that, which in some cases probably is useful to bring even back to a partner yeah. like you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, the purpose of why we have client advisory boards is to bring the, that feedback loop and help with prioritization and, you know, confirm where we're mm -hmm. headed. So that's, that's right. all important. So let's let's move to another topic that I think is is very relevant, data and analytics. We've, we've talked a little bit about it. How do you think about CSI's role in helping banks better understand not just the, the core data that you may be centrally responsible for, but the broader set of, of data they should probably be aware of within their bank? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a lot of data like you mm -hmm. said, and, and it's critical, but it doesn't tell a story on its own. It's important that the banks really, you know, step back and, and better understand what they're trying to get from the data, because we can give them that data. They, they have full access to that data. But if you don't know the questions you're even trying to ask it, you, you won't get far. We have, we have built several things for our customers to really enable better info for them from a dashboard perspective using the same reporting tool that they have access to mm -hmm. but we've pre-built a lot of of content there that they can access daily and like a deposit decay report loan prepayment speeds we have debit penetration and, and really that one hones in on what is traditional debit that should be business debit so mm -hmm. it's really opportunities for them to 
identify accounts that really should be on a business debit, which obviously makes the, the banks more money. So those are the types of things that that I see, you know, as as our role in, you know, enabling them with the questions that we know all of them have together, but they've got to really better understand the, the reporting tool that their own core provider has and know what questions they're going to ask. That's great. And it, I'm sure you would agree. This just this is the beginning of the a need for really everyone within a bank to become much more data literate in you know I I I know the term data driven is used often. I'm I'm a big fan of the term data informed yeah. in that it may not always drive everything and just automatically decide things, but the more I'm informed by it, the better I can make the the kinds of decisions or or take the actions that I, I need to take. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I was out in uh, D.C. a couple weeks ago, and I was asked about the benefits of what I see with the proposed open banking regulations. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a, a number of mixed feelings about those, but it's really for me around this from a, from the positive side of, you know, as data sharing becomes more standard, more normalized, the inside of what is taking place both inside the channels that you own and what else your customers transacting exactly. on in the rest of the entirety of their lives is key. And, you know, for retention, for next best action, without that access and insight and without that data access, that windshield is really, you know, still full of ice with this little small hole to drive. Totally. That's right. And yeah, if you start with the foundation of trust and you have a much bigger windshield available, then you can you can only do positive things if if it starts with trust, right? And so I think that's the the positive that you and I both see in having that full picture. I mean, you know, I saw it even inside a, a credit bureau. In theory, a credit bureau should have all the information about people, but they don't. If you really look at do they have full visibility to a consumer's income statement and balance sheet, they don't. They have very partial views. And so Anything they recommend or any risk scoring they do is only as good as the information they have. And the same is exactly true of financial institutions. Let's let's talk about digital transformation. You're right in the middle of this. One of the things that I, I lament often is just I feel like a lot of banks aren't moving fast enough in this process. That's that's my. I, I say banking is a digital business, right? The the movement of physical goods. This isn't retail. You mentioned grocery earlier. You you really the the use of physical cash is just continues to go down. You know, my kids never have cash. It's all digital all the time. So we know where we're headed. And I just find that you know far too often people are still getting comfort out of things like a branch, and partly because they have customers that still go in the branch and want to go in the branch. I get, but the future is less that, not more that, and they all acknowledge it. How collectively do you feel like we can help them better understand that change? And I would even say the rate of change they should be embracing. I saw a stat yesterday from Tristan over at Gonzo Banker, and I think this that refers to what you're you're referring to spot on. 
it was in regards to the, the number of banks with a digital account opening solution. 43% of all banks in the US have a digital account opening solution. As soon as I saw that, I chatted several people. And I said, mm -hmm. this shocks me. This mm -hmm. shocks me. Like, I, I can't even find a branch. In comparison to an analysis they did on banks that had four quarters in a row of growth and, you know, string together consecutive quarters of, of growth. And of those banks, 81% a digital account origination system. Mm -hmm. And whether they have the system or not, I think where we're still missing as an industry and even where it exists is leveraging the opportunities that go along with that solution itself. Okay. So it's not enough anymore to say, we have a digital account origination so, so, solution. Check. Moving on, right? No, it's not that. That's it. We got it. We're in the we're in the 81% now. But how are you engaging post-onboarding to grow that relationship? How are you identifying and predicting attrition to prevent them from leaving and never seeing value from that account? It costs you a lot to get it. So yeah. the fact that many are never seeing value out of it hurts. How are you? Well, it's also, yeah, it's a, it's also that of how are you telling people that you even are open for business in this way? Right. How are you utilizing the the evolution of open banking and and use using you know customer shared data to know what to offer them next? Mm -hmm. There's so many cool fintechs that I've been in touch with recently, you know, that are really powering this side of the engagement aspect. So I think I think getting to a place of not just saying anymore. DAO, check the box, move on. It is looking at the value of that account, the ongoing engagement and retention of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's operational change. I mean, you you have to set up a different operational infrastructure. I would even say organizational infrastructure. I, I've said to several of our banks, the the two fairly large fintechs that I was a key part of building. I feel like our organizational structure probably looks more like what a bank should look like than what many banks look like today, because we had a lot of the digital capability in the team, engineering and product and digital marketing. And we had all the other functions that banks have, but we also had all of this other capability that they're going to need some amount of that moving forward. So is it a talent? issue that you think a lot of them are are struggling with or going to struggle with you how do you get this digital native talent to say i want to go help a community bank be be the best it can be for the the next seasons of of its existence any any thought i mean is it training is it talent what what do you see as the the key human parts of this Check, 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 all of yeah. the above. I think there's a lot of talent out there. There is. For looking for new careers and very willing to learn the banking side of it. And they know the FinTech side. So mm -hmm. I think we're we're at a time where obviously the, the, the talent is out there and looking. So they should leverage that. But there's so many incredible resources available for, for banks to take advantage of. I could offer any advice, I think getting really clear on where their gaps are in talent in relation to their strategic goals is crucial. Mm -hmm. So prioritizing that top level strategy and, and really balancing the truth and reality of the talent and expertise needed to pull that off. So if you're, if you're really serious about moving more into small business and commercial, but 
you're you're looking at the staff saying we're really lacking here, you know, how are you going to fill that gap? But I think, you know, what you all provide, what the ICBA provides, ABA, all the other groups. I mean, I'm I'm so impressed with as I learn more about all of the resources at the hands and the disposal of the the association banks. There's, there's just so many resources they put together from fintech readiness campaigns, diligence help. Like they are, there's so many parties out there like you all that I just mentioned that are ready to help banks become more fintech ready to accelerate due diligence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So start looking there first too. That's a, a great, great feedback. The, the other I would offer too is I think as you get somebody maybe from the fintech world into your bank and you don't try to convert them to bank, but you give them a little bit of room, they're going to become another source of talent attraction to you to help in that transition. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. This has been super fun, Tara, talking about the market, the industry, all this. I want people to understand more about you because you are one of the emergent leaders in this whole space. I have so enjoyed getting to know you over the last year. So let's talk a little bit more about you. How in the world did you end up in the banking industry? Oh, yeah. So when I was a little girl, my dad was president and CEO of a community bank. Family business. I saw, yeah. yeah, I saw his, uh, his passion for what he showed up to do every day. And I even worked for some of the small businesses that he helped with. He helped enable them with resources to, you know, turn their visions into realities. I spent many after school afternoons bothering the teller line and playing on the sorter and all of those things that uh, a banker's daughter does growing up. Mm. But like most dads, he, he told me I can be anything, but you can't be a banker at my bank. And I said, good. I didn't want to follow in your footsteps anyway. So after college, I spent a couple years at Wells Fargo, and I learned the good and the bad about banking. I knew that that was not my long-term career path. So as I started to look, kind of went back to the uh, the drawing board and thought, you know, what what is the technology that enables their bank to do all of the great things that they did for our community growing up? And I knew CSI, I didn't know a lick about them. Mm -hmm. So I learned a little bit more and then I snuck into the CSI customer happy hour in St. Louis, met several from there. It wasn't immediate, but over time, the right role opened up in St. Louis and Todd Patton gave me a chance about 16 years ago and threw me into 10 banks week two, mentored me along the way. And it's been a, a really great journey. So I've learned from our customers. I've learned from the fintechs we work with. I've learned from so many people at CSI and it's a great industry to be in. Absolutely. Well, and, and you're such a learner and I think you, you continue to grow. So as you think about the things that have helped you be successful there, I often find people have either disciplines or approaches that they use. What, what do you find has helped you continue to evolve and grow and you, you continue to take on increasingly more responsibility as well. I would say always being open for mm -hmm. the next opportunity and never facing the fear that you're not ready for that. 
because I think I, I experienced that with every change throughout my career. But luckily, I've been blessed with leaders that offered the opportunity to grow and learn along the way. And it's been a really great journey. Well, you're, you're in a strategy role now, which is always an interesting place to be, right? You've had these very clear operating roles like sales and customer experience and product and other, which gets you this connectedness across. You know, what What is it about strategy that you really like now as a, a primary responsibility? Yeah, I think it's thinking about what's next. So variety and exploration. I have a personality that really enjoys that and being a part of discussions and planning that can really help shape our future. I get the opportunity to, to read, to ask questions, to share opinions, to listen in on market changes, whether that be regs or, or new rollouts. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the thick of executing product rollouts or negotiating customer contracts or working with consultants on the daily, and that's all you do, sometimes those things are, are luxuries. So sure. that's what I love. That uh, makes tons of sense. And I'm sure that a lot of your partners in the business who are in those operating roles probably value that relationship too, because you've done so many of these roles too so they know you're coming at it not from i know better but you you have that empathy of understanding what they're dealing with and that maybe they don't have that luxury to your point yeah i've been there and you know you you understand what they face daily so last couple of questions as we're coming up on time what are you most excited about over the next year hmm you mean besides the CSI conference and the Bank Tech Summit? Yeah. Besides those besides things. Besides those things, yeah. Those are in April and May, by the way. <laughs> okay. I'm excited about what I hope to be a, a bigger year of collaboration and, and mm. creativity to really navigate the waters of increased scrutiny for our banks. I'm excited to work closer with individuals and, and organizations like you that are in the boat and helping banks through this. So I think as we work together and as we collaborate more, I think that we'll bring more benefit to the community banks in the fight to stay competitive. I'm excited about the evolution of AI for all that we do and how that's going to be incorporated into literally every area of our lives. And one last thing, the, the evolution of faster payments. We already have 320 clients signed already for FedNow. And mm. I'm anxious to see the use cases really progress as an industry. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, I like, I like your boat analogy. We talk a ton about rising tide lifts all boats in, in what we're doing here. So I, I really like that one and, and definitely would say we are in the boat together. So last thing, personal growth opportunity. What, what are you investing in yourself over the next year? Oh, uh, so I have invested quite a bit of time over the last six to nine months with an executive coach mm. and along with several special mentors that I've kept throughout the years. And if I could sum up that work in as few of words as possible, my continued focus is, is really to better understand my impact on others at, a, at an extended level. So um, and really adjust in the moment. So whether that be when I'm asking questions or sharing information or involved in a disagreement of sorts or coordinating a strategy, that's a that's a continuation for me and an evolution to better understand myself 
my urgency tends to be high mm -hmm. and my excitement about new things and continued learning. So how all of that can impact others who may operate very differently, that's, that's been an area of, of focused growth for me. If you have one quick second, I'll tell you a funny story about Tom sure, Shen. Sure. Okay. So we were doing a, he's, he's one of my mentors. He's now on our board. We were doing a Women and Allies FinTech panel at our recent conference this year. And I had both our CEO, David, and, and Tom on the panel participate in this as well. And during that, that panel, I shared a story about a mentoring experience with Tom. And I was explaining to him about a recent scenario, situation, something I'd never really you know, faced before. And he, he looked at me and he said, just tuck your elbows in. And I said, okay, what, what does that mean? But what he meant is essentially slow down to speed up. You're at the table, take the time to, you know, gain the buy-in. Don't assume everyone is already sharing your perspective or where they are may be very different, but you know, it's, I think that's a, a big area that's really stuck with, with me and several others in the room from CSI executives and bank executives. I think we all talked about either getting t-shirts or, or maybe even tattoos that say tuck your elbows in. <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to really understand how you do impact others, how you show up and you know, when you're even showing up with positive intent, sometimes mm -hmm. that can be misconstrued. So just knowing yourself better. Oh, what about you? So good, Tara. I, I mean, I just, I first, I, I, I've got a comment that I, I think it's such a great reminder that you've got to bring everybody else along. I mean, I think that that's a big part of how we think about, you know, no bank left behind, no founder left behind. Like, how, how do we, how do we do that? Because I think, yeah, that's it's a great reminder. So thank you for for sharing that and and that journey. And I think such a good reminder too that we need those mirrors of others who have our best, you know, best intent, but are willing to also help sharpen us as we as we grow up too. So for me, personal growth in in this coming year, it's probably continuing to just invest in my physical health. And make sure that I, I run really fast and really hard. And, and so I need that counterbalance with all the travel that I'm doing. I'm just making sure that I'm getting enough exercise and eating right, even when I'm on the road. And, and, and because I, I have high energy, but I want to make sure I continue to maintain that high energy. And so I know as I'm getting older, unfortunately, some of those things get a little bit harder. Awesome. I love that goal. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. As always, so fun. And I'm so appreciative of you and everything you do in, in the industry, not just CSI, but your involvement at AFT. And you just show up to so many things. And I, I know how much that burdens you and, and others. And I so appreciate you for that because leaders have to, to be there and you're always so present. So we just need more people like you who care want to be part of the solution. And so I appreciate the friendship and I'm continuing to develop it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you better. And I look forward to, to working with you more closely. I think we have a, a shared passion. It's clear. So uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. 
If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.